Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Chapter number 18. What a blessing it is to be in God's house today. I am humbled and honored to stand before you this morning in the absence of our pastor. If you are visiting today, I do apologize. Please do not judge this assembly based on me. Come back when pastor's here. Amen. But we are so thankful to have you this morning. The book of Psalms, chapter 18 and verse number 1, says, now this is starting in the actual verse, but just, just hang there with me, Brother Zach, for just a moment. But in most Bibles, there is a, a heading or kind of a forwarding address to what is about to be said. And those words I do not want to overlook this morning because they kind of set the tone for what David is saying in Psalms chapter 18. It says, To the chief musician, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who spake unto the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And he, David, and he said... And this is where we pick up on the screen today. I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from mine enemies. Bishop, would you take us to the Lord today in prayer and ask God to speak what he would have to be spoken to us today? Man, I want to talk to you this morning on this subject, the place of safety. You may be seated. Thirteen months ago, we witnessed a colossal change and shift away from what we have known to be normal in all of our lives. Life looked different. Life felt different. We went to bed one evening and awoke to differences that no living person on planet earth had ever witnessed. It was overwhelming to see. Restaurants close. 
businesses close and some regrettably shut down permanently. Pictures of families on social media talking to elderly loved ones through a glass window pane. The death toll rose each day with no hope. I watched the news every day. I watched the numbers of new infections and death at both the state and federal levels. As a local business leader, I was a member of a global, daily global briefing on the state of affairs of our local economy as well as our state and federal conditions. As I continued to watch the news media, I continued to feel oppressed by the complete and total lack of hope that I was witnessing, although at the time I did not recognize it as oppression. It just kind of happened. Because no hope was offered. Finally, about 12 weeks in, I stopped watching the news, except for maybe the weather. Almost overnight, most, not all, most of the overwhelming fear I was experiencing disappeared. But what I had not realized until about eight weeks ago, when Pastor preached an indicting message to this church on how far we are now from where we used to be as a congregation in our worship, it was only then that I started realizing the damage, Bishop, that had been done in my life. The battle that I had been experiencing in my mind that if anybody else knew it, it wasn't because I told them because I wasn't recognizing it myself. It just kind of happened. Fear had left its mark. While all of you, except for Pastor, myself, and my wife, Brother Alex, Brother Zach, and Sister Malin, we're at home trying to press through the awkwardness of having church in your living room. We were here trying to press through the awkwardness of having church in an empty auditorium. The change affected my worship. I've come to be transparent with you this morning. The oppressiveness and heaviness of the world's condition affected my worship. Fear affected my worship. It also affected my fellowship. I started recognizing this about eight weeks ago, that all of this oppressiveness and heavy-mindedness and mental anguish and anxiety had put me in a condition where I would come to church, clock in and clock out at the last amen and get to the car as fast as I could. Now on the back side of the story, we can see clearly, I, I hope you can, I trust that you can see clearly, exactly how politicized the media exposure of the virus was. Now hang, hang with me here before you tune me out. I mean no disrespect to anyone affected by this horrible virus. I know firsthand that it is real. I'm not here to declare otherwise. 
But it is clear to me that media fear mongers set out to spin the story to fit a narrative of their own mission. If you don't believe that, recall, I would challenge you to recall to your mind today the number one story the day after our presidential election. For the first time in months, the media headline was not COVID-19. It wasn't the second story. It wasn't even the third story. The Twitter trending topics, it had been the number one trending topic on Twitter for months going. It, it now ranked the eighth or ninth topic of interest. Somehow, the priority of importance shifted. My point today is not to stir up your political passions. My point this morning is to reveal to you how strategic your adversary can be at inciting fear into your life. No matter what the headline is, the headline topic may change, but the fear is at the fundamental core of what he's doing he wants to scare you away from a relationship with God. Somebody say amen. Fast forward to today, some 13 months after this beginning of colossal change in our nation and in our world, you see a world that is full of fear. Full of fear. Fear abounds at every corner. Fear is at the core of every news headline. Fear is everywhere you look. There are shootings, stabbings, and murderings of mass scale on nearly a daily basis. The racial divide in this country is worse now than it's ever been. Let me tell you something this morning. You can't fight racism with racism. And I will declare to you this morning, if you want to talk about lives that matter, stop putting a color in front of it. We need to wake up as the church today and realize that the enemy's trying to back us into a corner where we're scared to say anything. And I'll declare to you today that this, this fight is not about color. If you think it is, you've missed it. This is not about, this is a spiritual warfare. It's not about race. It's not about equality. Those are buzzwords that are used to get our emotions stirred up. But that's not what's at the core of the story. It is an onslaught attack from hell. And the enemy of your soul and the enemy of my soul wants to stir us up to the point that we get nothing but fear and hatred inside of us. The church needs to be the light in the darkness, not another house of darkness. The hatred and animosity of one human being to another is at an all-time high. But we need only turn to the Word of God today. And see that Isaiah prophesied that there are those who will call evil good. And good, evil. Hmm. 
He says, and we have it in our society today, those who put darkness for light. And light for darkness. Let me tell you, you, you can't even rationalize what's happening today. Some of the things that are happening right in front of us are so blatantly evil and wrong that I scratch myself, my head, Bishop, and I think to myself, how is this possible? How can the common man not see clearly with 2020 vision how evil and wrong that is? And the, the answer to how it's possible lies in the Word of God that we are seeing unfolded right in front of us of those who would call evil good. Those who would put evil on display and demonstrate it and stand back and talk about how good it is. We're seeing that unfolded in front of us in the happenings of today. You can't rationalize it because it's spiritual. You can't rationalize it because it doesn't make sense. Because it's a spiritual attack. It is a spiritual warfare. And the words of Luke chapter 21 have never rang truer when he wrote, And there shall be signs in the sun, and in the moon, and in the stars, and upon the earth, distress of nations, with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear for looking after those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of heaven shall be shaken and then shall they see the son of man coming in a cloud with power and great glory and this is where our hope lies today and when these things begin to come to pass look up and lift up your heads for your redemption draweth not Satan, your adversary, is not worried about you robbing the local gas station. Hear me today. He's, he's not cared. He has not cared one bit about you robbing the, the, the gas station or robbing your neighbor. The enemy of your soul today is not worried about you drinking yourself to a drunken stupor. What he's worried about, the name of the game in 2021, is fear. If he can scare you, if he can immobilize you, that's what he wants. He wants to take away from you everything. And he doesn't want to do it. He doesn't see the, the, the game has changed from, from when I was a kid. When I was a kid, Sister Margaret. Growing up in the church and listening to my dad preach Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and Friday night. When I was a kid growing up, if you wanted to walk away from God, you didn't come to church. That's just the way it was. Right, wrong, or indifferent. People who did not want a relationship with God or who were walking away from their relationship with God, they did so publicly, stage front and center, by not going to His house. Now that's a subject all in of itself that I'm not here to touch today. But what I am here to say today is that through fear and through intimidation and through the tactics of the 21st century today, your enemy is not concerned about you not coming to church. He's concerned about you coming to church and not getting victory over your fear. 
he doesn't care. Us being in church, hear me, I am not anti-coming to church. If that's what you get out of what I'm saying, then I'm doing a really poor job at saying it. We need to come to the house of God. But the devil is not scared for you to come to church. Coming to church, I think, used to scare the devil. I don't think that scares him anymore. Because the 21st century church has gotten to the point that unfortunately, and I say this with all due respect, we have gotten to the place where that we are comfortable coming to church and comfortable not having church. God help us today. And we, one of the blockages, one of the brigades to us coming to church and having church is fear. It's mind games. I may only be talking to myself this morning. And if I am, uh, sorry for you. Thank you, God, for, for what you're doing for me. But I'm telling you today, mind games are real. And it's very difficult to get out of your own head. It's nearly impossible without a move of God to get out of your own way sometimes. That's why, that's why I've come to tell you today that if He can take away your peace, He's going to do it. If he can take away your joy, he will do it. If he can take, if he can oppress you with fear, he is going to do it. And in doing so, if he can create enough mental anguish and anxiety and fear in you and overwhelm you with worry, he's going to do it. And when he does it, he is going to take away your worship. Brother Mason, why, why do you keep... Why do you keep referencing worship? Because worship is where our relationship with God is deepened. Worship is where my relationship with God is demonstrated to Him that I believe He's worth my, my duty. Worship is where the victory is won. Worship is more than a shout. Worship is more than a dance. But worship should not exempt us from dancing and shouting. Worship comes from a place in the depths of the heart. Worship lets the heart overcome the mind. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll declare to you this morning that if you lose your worship, you will lose your relationship with God. I did not realize how oppressed I was. I did not realize, Bishop, today, until eight weeks or so ago, that I was simply going through motions. My wife knew it the night that he preached it because it moved me to tears sitting in the pew because I was feeling so indicted. I was feeling so, so convicted over where I had been and I didn't even realize the journey because he's so subtle. He's so subtle with what he does. He's so slick when he lies that he can trick us into believing that we're okay. But if you lose your worship, if you don't maintain your worship, you will not develop a deeper walk with God. To your enemy, this is non-negotiable. He will stop at nothing less than ownership of your soul. That's what he's after. He's after full... Ownership. 
He is like, uh, please forgive the carnal reference, I'm sure anyone who watches television has probably seen this referenced before, but he is like the, the drug dealer that, that passes out uh, a, a bag of, of drugs. And I'll probably, I hope I get the terminology here wrong, because trust me, I don't know what I'm talking about hardly. But he, they'll, they'll give out freebies. And then they'll, they'll jack the price up to 25 cents a bag. And then once they get good and addicted, then it's $5 a bag. Then it's $10. And oh, 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 I'm sorry, the price just went up. Uh, market competition, it's $50 a bag now. That's what he does. It may not be by drugs, but it's, it's through some type of subtle activity that, that he, he comes in and this is a freebie. And then he starts charging a price. And the price is intimidation in our worship. The price is intimidation in our fellowship. Let me tell you something. We need each other. We need, we need each other. And I, I, have, I have recognized this recently just for my own walk with God. But we need each other more than what we've ever needed each other. And I'll say that we need each other more than we know we need each other. We need, and I know Pastor has talked about it recently, and I know in his heart we set the connect theme for 2020, and then 2020 happened. And, and, and on his heart is still connect. And there is, there is little things less powerful than, or more powerful than the connection that we have when we come to God. I need to connect with him, and I need to connect with you. But our enemy doesn't want that. Our scripture text in Psalms 18 finds David making a declaration. He's making a declaration of how great and wonderful God had been to him. All of you Bible readers know how David had ran, from his, ran for his life from King Saul. We don't have time to go deep into the story here, but we need to understand today that David had feared for his life. David had been anointed king by the hand of the prophet. It's possible today, I can only imagine in my mind's eye, that David might have also been afraid of disappointing God because of the anointing that he had placed on him. But yet, in all of David's issues, the Bible declares to us that God took care of him. God had proven himself faithful to David. Our primary focus today in this scripture text is less about what happened to David in God's provision, although that's very good and very great. My focus today in this message to you is more about where God took care of David. Less about the what and more about the where. For the Bible declares in Psalms 18 and verse 2, The Lord is my rock. Everybody say rock. We're going to stop right there and just focus on that portion of Scripture. The Lord is my rock. The word rock here is from a very particular word form in the Hebrew language. It is selah. It is not the selah that we see in other Psalms verses that is just simply a musical rest. Pronounced the same, different word. It is a word that represents more than just your typical rock or boulder that you could imagine. But it is the formation of what's known as a craggy rock. Anybody ever heard of a craggy rock? Oh, I feel so much better because I hadn't either. I had to look it up. 
craggy rock. It's, it's, I don't know if it's fun to say or weird to say. But nonetheless, that's what Selah in the Hebrew stands for, is a rock formation that is developed with crags. A crag is a rugged, harsh, and tough formation. They are steep, high, and uneven. Brother Zach, if you could help me today and put up the photo. This is a, a photo in the Judean desert of a craggy rock. And if you can just see here, this is, it's, it's, it's zoomed in, but this is kind of high up, lofty area, and you can see it's not smooth. It would be hard to stand on, right? Because where are you going to put your feet? You might put a left foot there, but your right foot may be over here. It's not even ground. It's firm. It's firm like a rock, but it's uneven. And if you've got balance issues, it would be hard to climb. I'd probably take two steps and fall backwards down the hill because it's uneven. And it's not easy to navigate. Thank you, Brother Zach. God is not only a rock. He's not only the foundation on when we, which we stand, but when God delivers us, when God puts us in a place that we need to be, sometimes we don't know that we are in the place of His deliverance just yet. We often try to rationalize God and say, God, I, I, I thank you for lifting me up above my enemy. I thank you for providing for me and, and giving me protection. But God, I, I can't move here. I, I can't navigate this situation. This is not the right place for me. This situation is too tough. These rock formations are too rugged for me. These, the, the crags and these rocks are too abrasive and harsh for me to walk on. God, what are you expecting me to do here? And the thing that we need to understand today is that God requires total surrender and total trust when we need Him to deliver us. When God gets you to a place of safety, your feet might feel uneven. Your standing might feel, not feel too firm. You might not recognize your surroundings. But understand today that if God puts you there, God will prosper you there. Just trust God. Trust the hand of God. Your situation might not feel secure. You might be facing hard decisions. You might be dealing with a broken heart today. Your life might not look today what it looked like yesterday. But if you will hold on to God and worship Him and serve Him, God has got you in a place of safety. God has got you in a place that you can't navigate it on your own because He doesn't want you doing it on your own. He wants you trusting Him for the next step. David sang in the Psalms 18 and verse 2, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust. Do you understand today what it means to trust? Total trust. Complete trust. It requires everything. 
Trust requires everything. Nearly three years ago, I went in for a routine surgery. And as pastor closed his prayer, the last words that I said were, God, I trust you. And when I came out, I found out that I had nearly died three times on the table. Vocal cords slammed shut. Last words out of my mouth, Sister Margaret, and I meant every one of them, were, God, I trust you. And when I came out, I had asked them, I had asked them, how would I know when I wake up if the surgery went bad? I ask too many questions sometimes, probably, but this was a good one. How will I know? And they said, it was, it was a sinus surgery, and they said, when you wake up, if things did not go as expected, you'll be surrounded by a team of nurses holding your legs and your feet so that you don't go for the face. Okay, fair enough, because I want to know what to expect. I hate surprises. I'm a recovering control freak. I hate surprises. Went into surgery, come out, and I don't know how long I was out. I don't know how long all the happenings went. But when I came out, <laughs> I was surrounded. I have one at my head, two on the, this arm, two on this arm, and a couple at the feet. And whenever my eyes opened and I saw all those people, I said, dear God, what happened? And the anesthesiologist, it, it had gotten so critical, the anesthesiologist stood by my side the entire time I was in recovery, waiting on me to wake up to make sure that I woke up. And she's patting me, and she's saying, "Hun, you're all right. You're all right. She's trying to keep, keep everything down. You're all right. What happened? You're all right. What happened? You're all, you're all right. They wouldn't even tell me for a while. I asked for my wife. I couldn't find her. We don't have any record of her being here. I got six people holding me down. And they can't find my wife. And she's telling me, hon, you're all right. Trust. I told him I trusted him. I don't know if all that was a means to an end for him to find out how much or not. I don't know today. But what I can tell you is whenever I was in the ICU, ICU room for the next two days, guess where the struggle was? Right here in my mind. In between the ears. And guess what? The enemy of my soul started telling me. Look what trust got you. It was subtle. It was quiet. But he was speaking to me. It was, it was so obvious that it was almost, Bishop, it was almost as if it were audible. It wasn't, but it was, that, that's how much in my spirit I could hear him saying, look what trust got you. And laying there in bed, I don't remember. It was the middle of the night. I don't remember what time it was. But laying there in bed, I remember etching out the words, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. Let me tell you something, church. 
if he can steal your trust in God, he will take it away. If he can steal your dependency on God, he will take it away. I will say to you, and I say this with respect today, but the reason, and this is good not only for this assembly, but for every assembly. If you're listening today by way of the internet, I will tell you that if you are struggling in your relationship with God and you have not yet put your trust in Him, that that is exactly what He wants from you. He doesn't care for you to come to church. He's probably a bit happier when you miss, but He he doesn't care for you to come. As long as you come and you don't find a place of safety while you're here. If we go back to verse 2, Brother Zach, he's my buckler. That's a bit of a peculiar translation word, but it just simply translates as shield. Because what happens whenever I put my trust in him, God puts a shield up. He's protecting me. I don't always recognize it as protection because I'm standing on craggy rocks. And I'm thinking, God, why'd you, why'd you put me here? God, God of all places, I, I, I thought you were for me. Why did you put me here? He is for you. He puts you there on purpose. Because your next step needs to be designed by Him. He puts you there because He needs you to trust Him for your next step. the horn of my salvation. He is my high tower. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. We had we had a what I would say incredible season of worship last Sunday. One, and I can only tell you how I feel, all right? One that I believe was way past due. But the only reason it happened was because people continued to push, continued to press, and began to obey the voice of God. You want to know where we start to lose our trust in God? Sitting on a church pew. Feeling the worship in here. But saying, eh, it's not really me. They don't want to hear me tonight. They don't, they don't want to see me jump. They don't, want to, they don't want to see me. They don't want to see me pray. They don't want to see me cry again. That's fear. It's an intimidation tactic of the enemy. And he's trying to... He's trying to transform the apostolic church into something that we can't even recognize. Because we're scared of the people that we're supposed to love. Now tell me how much sense that makes. We're supposed to love each other, right? 
This is what we call our church family, right? We're supposed to support each other, right? We're supposed to be the arm and the elbow to help lift somebody up, right? So why would we be scared of them or their thoughts or their actions if I worship? Let me clue you in. It's not the people. It's your, it's your enemy. The person across the aisle from you is not your enemy. The devil is. Sometimes we come into the house of God feeling hopeless. I'm about done. But there is a place of safety here. If you feel like you've lost what you need today, there is a place of safety for you. There is a painting of a chess player. It showed the final move on the board that had been made. And the name of the painting was Checkmate. Now, if you don't know anything about chess today, let me explain briefly that checkmate, when you hear the words checkmate from your opponent, that means you have no other move left. You just lost. No other move. A man saw this painting in an art gallery and it caught his attention. He stared at the painting for a long while and then he he asked the attendant in the art gallery for a, a chair, a table, and a chessboard. The man gave, the, the attendee gave the man a table, a chair, and a chessboard. And he set that up right in front of that painting called Checkmate. And he studied the painting longer, trying to work out what he saw on the board that was painted. And he studied it, and suddenly a smile came across his face. He called for the attendee at the art gallery, and he said, Please, go get the name of the man who painted this painting and call him. I am a world-class chess champion. And after studying this painting, I can tell you he still has one move left. That's where I believe we are today, if you'll stand with me this morning. If you are here today and you have felt like you've lost ground with God and fear and life have taken its toll on you emotionally, physically, and spiritually, I've come to offer you hope today. You've still got one more move. Hope is not lost. We serve a God of hope today. We serve a God of hope. Could you lift your hands this morning all over the sanctuary and just in your own way, quiet or loud, just begin to talk to the Lord. Begin to declare unto Him that He is your hope. He is your peace. He is your deliverance. I've not come to a checkmate today. I've come to a place of safety and I still have a move left. I still have something that I can do. I still have a place that I can go to, and that's the house of God. As many as would this morning. 
Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.